0: You can do anything if you're not afraid.
1: How do you kill a man without fear? By putting the fear in him. Oh like that.
0: The same game. Love to fight you in your pride.
1: For your sake, I hope justice is found here today. Before justice finds you.
0: Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, the home of the Marvel Netflix Defenders series and Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host for this week, Derek. Cool. Well, we're about a month out to uh launch of Daredevil on the 10th of April. And all 13 episodes being released globally, all at the same time on Netflix. So it's getting really close to... um I suppose D Day really to blast off. It is. Um, it's getting close to D Day. Yes. Yeah, to D Day. <laughs> yeah. Um, Firstly, as well, I can't believe that you played that tune um, after a really serious build up, and then you went and ruined it all. I know we're based in Dublin, but you went and ruined it all with.
1: That track, ah, House of Pain, you gotta say top of the morning too. I hate the phrase; it's a real, it's it's, <laughs> it's something, it's something that really gets me. But uh, but I've, I'm an Irishman; I've got to play, got to play a bit of House of Pain. Uh, it is a Philly cheesy cheese 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 sandwich. And right now we're about a week away from uh, Saint Patrick's Day that as well, so you know we gotta get, gotta get a bit of Irish in here. So uh, so in case you didn't know from the uh, from the quotes that were on there earlier on, we're going to be talking about the 2003 movie Daredevil uh, this week. So uh, the
0: extent cut as well.
1: Yes, yeah. So, uh, so well, we we bought the uh, the Blu-ray. So um, I didn't realize it when I bought it that it was the actual extended cut. It's about a half hour longer than the original theatrical cut, which I saw a number of times in the past. And uh, I think you've seen, yeah, uh, you've seen too. both a couple of times. Yeah? I
0: remember watching it at the time. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was good to come back to it after quite a long time. I think actually, on our first episode of the podcast, I kind of said, I, you know. Growing up in my uh, younger days, I really kind of enjoyed Daredevil, um, The Punisher with John Travolta, Mm -hmm. and there was, of course, um, Blade as well, which I actually really liked them all. um, And I have fond memories of them. So it was interesting coming back to this, um, definitely. But I suppose as well, we should also just say um, we're... Everyone can find us and listen to us. So you can listen and subscribe to us on defenders tvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and subscribe there and leave a review. That would be great. You can also follow us on any other good podcast catcher and just search defenders TV podcast.
1: Mhm. You can also follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast to get some updates about what we'll be doing coming uh, up to the show's launch, and you know how we'll be how we'll be covering the episodes when they when the Daredevil episodes launch in April. You can join our group on Facebook at Defenders TV Podcast.
0: Yeah. So there are all these different ways you can um, listen to us, subscribe to us, or follow us. So please feel free to do that. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, don't please confuse us. Given the heavy Catholicism of (laughs) um, this Daredevil uh, film, please do not uh, confuse us with the Defenders cast, I believe, Mm. which is a religious podcast. Um, Otherwise, you may be tuning into something (laughs) that uh, uh, you may or may not want to listen to. Or you, you could be... Completely surprised at um, our take on religion. Um, religion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as always, just to mention, you can email us at feedback at com with your thoughts about the upcoming show Daredevil, this movie, or about anything else related to The Defenders or Marvel. Uh, email us at feedback at com. So I think now on to our discussion about the uh, the Daredevil movie, uh, written and directed by Mark Stephen Johnson and starring Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner, Colin Farrell... Michael Clark Duncan, John Favaro, and Joey Pantaleano. Um, John, would you like to give us a synopsis to kick
0: us off? Yes, of course. So, on to the synopsis. A young boy blinded by a chemical accident and named Matt Murdoch, played by Scott Terra, and his rehabilitated father make a promise together that they will work to make sure that the young Matt Murdoch. Will work hard at his school studies to become something better than a hired hand and bruiser for the local crime boss, Fallon, of Hell's Kitchen, New York City. As Matt's dad, Jack the Devil Murdoch, hits the boxing ring to bring true and fulfil their promise together, he is murdered after he fails to swing the fight in Fallon's favour. Young Matt Murdock witnesses his father's murder at the hands, or should I say left hook and clenched fist, of a young but ambitious kingpin who leaves his signature red rose at the scene of the crime, yet whose identity at this stage is unknown. In his quest for justice of his dad's death, the now older Matt Murdock, played by Ben Affleck, uh, by day works the courts for pro bono work with his legal partner, Foggy Nelson, played by John Favreau, and by night is the masked diavolo, or vigilante, known as daredevil. Matt and Foggy's legal case and defence around the murder of a girl called L- Liza Tanzia, coupled with the investigation of a major crime boss in New York City by the journalist Ben Auric, played by Joey Pantiliano, uh, lead to the reveal that the kingpin, is the CEO, Wilson Fisk, played by Michael Clark Duncan, of the business Fisk Corp. In his attempt to bring the now-established kingpin to justice, Matt's closest friends and loved ones, including his new love interest, Electra Nachos, played by Jennifer Garner, uh, are brought into real grave danger from the hired assassin Bullseye, played by Colin Farrell, who just knows how to hit his target. (laughs) As events unfold, Matt is driven by the anger of Elektra's murder uh, at the hands of Bullseye, hired by the Kingpin, and the knowledge that Wilson Fisk killed his father, leading to Daredevil facing off against both protagonists, Bullseye and the Kingpin. As the climax of the story takes place, Bullseye is brought to justice in the sight of God and the Kingpin's empire is brought crashing down, bringing to a close the brutal death of his father for Daredevil and, more importantly, for Matt Murdock.
1: Quite a complex film, with, uh, with you know, considering we've been watching the extended cut. There's a lot of extra elements in there from the original theatrical cut that I would have seen on day one when it was released. I think it was uh, February 14th, 2003, when it came out in the US, so... Couple of months after that, probably when when I saw it uh, originally, but um, but yeah, quite a complex old old plot, isn't it?
0: There's definitely a lot of elements in this. Um, firstly, it, there's an origin tale and backstory mm-hmm. played out in this. There is a love story played out in this. There is. In a sense, a courtroom investigation, Mm -hmm. in a a sense, um, played out as well. And there is the following of Daredevil becoming Daredevil and investigating his father um, and all the whole Kingpin, Wilson Fisk Mm -hmm. um, and Bullseye story arc. There's a huge number of strands to to this story, definitely. And I suppose one of the things we might be coming back to is whether they necessarily um, all mesh together in such a neat way. Yeah. But certainly there's a lot to fit into the 2 hours, 15, 20 minutes running time, even in this extended cut. The extended cut adds about 30 minutes onto the theatrical release of Daredevil, so this is really um, very complex and You know, it just shows you how difficult it is to fit all these elements into the original theatrical release that was quite heavily criticized at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it should be sort of made up front here now that the extended cut was um, more positively received when it was released um, on, I think, DVD at the time, but also now on Blu-ray.
1: That's right. And as I said earlier on, the, the blu-ray version is just the uh the extended cut the director's cut i guess it's called Um you can't actually get the other uh, version of it on uh on blu-ray as far as i'm aware so so to kind of get it into the way we're going to cover this uh this particular movie this as i said it's quite a complex piece so what we're going to go through is the top five of the things we thought about the film. So, John, do you want to start off with with the number one? The first, the first thing that pops into your head for this movie?
0: I think for me, one of the big positives um, of this was the performance of Michael Clark Duncan as mm-hmm. Wilson Fisk as the kingpin. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved his portrayal. I mean, th- I think one of the things we have to kind of maybe just put up front there is that the casting of Michael Clark Duncan um by Mark Stephen Johnson who directed and wrote the uh, the film um Wilson Fisk isn't traditionally a a black person for mm-hmm. example um he's bald and white so this was a departure from say the the comic books as we we would have, have known them mm-hmm. but in the portrayal of Wilson Fisk Michael Clark Duncan just delivers a performance that is I think, fantastic. Um, It is both dominating of his presence on the camera and domineering of, um, as his character should be, I think, um, of um, his environment within the camera, within the scene. Um, He has this psychotic lee and calm demeanour and this sort of intimidating but gleeful kind of... uh, mood towards uh, violence. Um, And I just enjoyed all the scenes that he was in in this film um, Mm -hmm. and his malevolence um, at at what he did. I just thought, um, you know, is this really the same person that played, you know, the gentle giant from The Green Mile? Yeah. Um, It's such a great piece of acting and when you compare it to the green mile such a a change i mean in that sense it's it's so sad that he's passed away now and he's no longer um around to deliver these kind of performances because in in this and along with the green mile there's two performances that are of his that i really really um enjoy i think some of the scenes that i particularly liked he kills his two bodyguards very early on for no apparent reason it's just that psychotic tendency that he has and it, it's this sort of sugar-coated um, smart crisp and um, sophisticated businessman of uh, Fisk Corp yeah uh, who who has a you know a glass cane who has a a crisp suit who smokes a cigar, enjoys the finer things in life, you know, holds things like the black and white ball that we see in in the film, you know, where all the high and mighty society, uh, society members are, are all there from from Hell's Kitchen and from New York City, and mm-hmm. that um, um, you know all of that. Yet underneath is this guy who was brought up in the Bronx, and he references this a few times. Um, in particular, that final scene um, and showdown with Daredevil at the the penthouse and top floor of Fisk Corp, where he kind of says to his, his PA, um, Wesley Owen Welch, who's played by Leyland Orser, um, you know, you don't need to send the guards here. Um, I'm from the Bronx, you know, and prepares himself essentially for battle with his adversary in in, in the form of of Daredevil. To me, it's just it's a great scene, um, mm-hmm. and just then that deep, rich voice that he has that delivers these these powerful words, and in these scenes, it's just the whole package for me. I think it was really, really good, and and I think I see it again in the casting of Vincent D'Onofrio um, that. He too can play or seems to at least have the characteristics to play Wilson Fisk and have that presence. And I think here in this film, we see that Michael Clark Duncan had that and I thought gave a great performance of the kingpin Wilson Fisk in in this film.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, at the time, I remember they were going through casting choices trying to find somebody that could play this part. And there's nobody that has that that imposing size to them like Michael Clark Duncan did. And I remember when he was cast, it was colorblind casting, as John mentioned. They didn't look for a white guy who was six foot seven tall. The only person they could find that would suit this role is Michael Clark Duncan. And boy, does he suit this role. He's fantastic in it, I must say. Um, I do like just one element that you did mention. I do like the fact they reference it. And it's a small reference, and you probably wouldn't get it if you're not from New York or have been to New York. It's a small reference that, Kingpin is a character that was born born and raised in the Bronx, not in Lincoln, which is which was Hell's Kitchen. He's coming in from outside of town to take over Hell's Kitchen away from the defender that is uh, that is Matt Murdock. Um, it's quite an interesting little little element. It's a small community, a small neighborhood, and uh, Matt and Daredevil essentially feel the threat of a big corporation coming in and taking over from them. And even though it's within the five boroughs of New York. Uh, it's another guy from New York trying to take over an area of New York, but that area of New York is protected by the Daredevil.
0: And I think the part that he plays within this whole story is, as you say, it's, he is a kingpin of crime. Mm. He is a crime boss, a mobster who hides it. He, I mean, he tries to um, implicate um, Electra Natrus's, um father um, as the kingpin to deflect the attention away from him or the suspicion that he may be this sort of unknown uh, crime boss directing all the different criminal elements and crimes mm-hmm. going on in, in, in the city. And and that's a really like great kind of character to play as well. And then we also have the signature sort of red rose that he places um, on his victims. And we see it that obviously he must have been working for Fallon uh, back in the day, um, as his sort of killer in yeah. a sense, yeah, his real top end killer, and has since kind of made his way up the chain, maybe at the expense of Fallon, um, to really then take hold of New York City. And as you say, it's that element of um, external forces um, imposing their will on a given community, in this case, Hell's Kitchen.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. really, really good. Excellent. Yeah. Any other points about, about Wilson Guru? Just
0: is fantastic, and I mean that end fight is 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 absolutely brilliant. And I know we'll come back onto that later on. Um, for some of the other points that we um really pulled from this, so I'll leave that till then. Um, but it's just a great performance, and each scene is is magic to watch. He mm-hmm. really owns the scene, and his
1: presence is is great. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose the one big point for me that stood out about this movie, and I can't, I can't say enough about the about the actor Colin Farrell, Irish actor playing his, uh, using his Irish accent for the first time in a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time in in Daredevil, he plays the character of Bullseye, which is really well realized from the books. Bullseye is a crazy character in in the comic books, uh, and Colin Farrell pulls it off incredibly. I love uh, I love some of the some of the the elements that that they bring in for for the character. You know, the first time he, you see him. Yes, they're playing a House of Pain tune in a, in a London pub, apparently, John, just so you're, uh, you're, you, you know this. Um, oh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I so know it's a London, it's a pub, London pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where he, he takes out the bartender who doesn't pay him his, uh, his winnings from the, from the evening and he takes him out using some paper clips. He then travels to the airport in London and gets through security somehow in some crazy scene where he essentially is covered in metal. Walks through the security, the alarm bells go go off, and he just stares down the security dog, stares down the security guard. Um, these are all stuff that's in that's only in the extended cut. Um, but I think we all wanted to see a little bit more of Bullseye. But yeah, then he takes out his next victim using uh using a peanut down the throat, um, which is <laughs> fantastic, really, really well played. But yeah, an absolutely crazy character has has wonderful lines all the way through the film of the uh, the I want a costume, you know. That one, whichever one you've you've seen, um, you know that that kind of stuff. I think he's I think he's a crazy character, kind of incongruous with some of the other story, uh, the other elements of the story. Uh, at times, he really does feel like a comic book character, and really is playing like a panto villain at times, but really enjoyable. I think uh, for myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, this ties into one of my five points as well, which was the performance of Colin Farrell as Bullseye. Mm. I think the sheer Manicness that he brings to the the character of Bullseye and the performance is is absolutely brilliant. And um, so much of it is done with his eyes as well. He mm. his eyes are it's like he's got matchsticks holding them open in the most crazy manic zaniest possible way that <laughs> you could think of. Yes, and, Match, and that's matchsticks. Yeah, yeah, and that's all the way through. Um, through the film. I think you've already mentioned, you know, some of these kind of fun deaths, I suppose, of you know, paper clips to the landlord of the pub mm-hmm. in um in London after he's essentially hit a bullseye on the dartboard with about twenty darts. Yep. The peanut gag, fantastic. Um but I mean there is a more sinister um more dangerous element that he brings to it as well um, in terms of his, his threat to Daredevil and his threat to Elektra in particular that we'll come to again later. And, I mean, part of it, again, is... Sort of the fights that he is involved with with some of the main characters of Daredevil and Elektra in, in this in this film mm-hmm. are really well done. I mean, there's something about his movement in these fights that really sort of grabbed me, and um, they were kind of classy and style, uh, stylistic and really stylish. I think that um, I really enjoyed, and it kind of elevated those those fight scenes um, f- for me. In yeah. particular, yeah. Um, I absolutely loved
1: um how how he how he did this. Yeah, yeah, I d- definitely agree. The, the fight scene, particularly with Elektra, I think is, is one that stands out for me because it's quite a it's 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 quite an iconic image of the death of Elektra, wh- who is killed by uh, by Daredevil in the comic books, killed in exactly the same way. She is stabbed with her own side, the weapon that she uses through uh, through the front. And her the cloth the cloth of her clothes are stuck on the side in the back while he stares and laughs maniacally in her face. It's an iconic moment in the in the comic books and it's realised so well here by Colin Farrell and Jennifer Garner. Yeah, really good, uh, really good scene, definitely.
0: No, absolutely, and I, I think ultimately this brings me on to my next point, which is fights. Mm-hmm. I think the fights and the choreography of some of the big fights. I'm not saying all of them now by any stretch of the imagination are done really well. And in particular, as we've just been saying, the, the fight between Bullseye uh, with Elektra. Um, but also then the, the previous fight that had just occurred where Elektra uh, fights Daredevil and realises, um, she unmasks him and realises that it's Matt Murdock um, mm-hmm. who she has gotten to know. And, you know, they've shared some tender moments with. Um, I think they are really good. I think the choreography of those fights um, is really good, with the size, the whole ninja element, the whole um, sort of choreography of them moving in and out of one another um, between Daredevil and Electra. and then Electra fighting um, Bullseye. And actually, it's really brutal. There are no pardon the pun, punches pulled Mm -hmm. Bullseye hits Electra. you know, this is male on female violence and it is done in a way that is actually quite believable and it makes it shocking as a result, you know, Bullseye continues to hit and hit and has no mercy for this person, Mm -hmm. it just so happens that his contract is a woman and it's portrayed in a way that that doesn't matter that's his contract and he will kill his contract and it's just realized in such a great way and as you say that iconic image from the comics is just realized so well again um, and is reproduced here so well in in the film Uh, that it's one of the standouts uh, that whole sequence on the roof between um, the Electra Daredevil fight and then moving into the Bullseye and Electra fight. Yeah. And it's such an important pivotal moment in the film in so many ways because it drives on um, Daredevil then to essentially get revenge and justice, which is one of the big themes of this movie and of um, from Bullseye and to, to bring him to justice for what he's done. But it is also the realisation where Um, Electra who has been blaming Daredevil for the death of her father Nicholas Nachos Um, Tasty Um, (laughs) It's Nachos (laughs) I know but I just can't stop saying Nachos I I get very hungry speaking about um, these two characters Um, I kind of feel like a dip and (laughs) and some cheesy Nachos Uh, but Yeah, and... They are quite cheesy sometimes, I must say. They are quite cheesy, (laughs) the Nachos, uh, sometimes, definitely. But, you know, it's a pivotal moment because she's been blaming Daredevil for uh, the death of her father, Nicholas Nachos. And um, and now she realises that the person she's been blaming is actually the person who she is and has been falling in love with, Mm. uh, Matt Murdock. And she realises... Her mistake, as he sort of explains what happened, yeah, um, and then is killed by the person who had also killed her father. There's a real big pivotal uh moment there on top of the roof in uh in New York, and it's all surrounding a
1: fight scene. Mm-hmm. I'll also say one of the other fight scenes that really stood out for me is you, you kind of mentioned it earlier on, but the fight scene between Kingpin and uh and Daredevil at the end is just fantastic. I love that scene. Yep, it's also one of the fights that I
0: have down here uh, for this point is the final scene and the final fight is just so good. The the physicality of the Kingpin as he sort of attacks Daredevil. Um, you know, this idea that he's just told his PA um, to to move away and go away and not to call the gods because he wants to handle this because he's from the Bronx. You know, he's a bruiser himself. He knows how to handle himself and he kind of strips to his vest and and his suit pants and that then coupled with this sort of love of violence where he almost laments the fact that Daredevil is injured. Yeah. Because he actually wants to fight Daredevil whilst in his prime. Yeah. It's almost this gazelle and lion sort of relationship or you know, predator and predated kind of relationship. And he's just the predator. He's mm-hmm. this top-level predator. Um, and that fight is excellent um, again.
1: Yeah, yeah. It kind of shocked me when I was looking at some of the extras on the Blu-ray. It really shocked me that that scene was significantly extended from the DVD. So... Essentially, when I saw it in the cinema, fifteen years ago, I guess at this stage or twelve years ago at this stage, um, that scene wasn't as long and wasn't as brutal as what we saw in the uh, as what we saw in the cinema at the time, what we saw on Blu-ray. Um, and that's really unfortunate because I think the scene really needed to be there. I think it's really important to have your main character fighting against your main villain uh, in a big all-out brawl like this one was at the end. You know, and I think what stands out for it is he does get beaten by Daredevil. Bit of a cheeky move with uh, kicking him in the in the back of the legs and breaking his breaking his legs <laughs> and putting him to the floor. You felt for him. You certainly did. But I love that the scene ends with with Daredevil saying he has the option to kill him and he's just going to leave him alive and send him off to Rikers Island. He's going to send him off to uh, to um, many years in prison. And when he comes out, out, Daredevil will be waiting for him. You know that that whole scene is really functional, really important for the film, and to hear that. Originally, when it was released in in the theaters, it wasn't it wasn't that uh, powerful. I suppose it was a, it was an unfortunate thing for myself.
0: Oh, hugely, and I I think ultimately it is one of the issues of the film that you know there are so many great things from the extended cut that weren't in place within the theatrical release, and that's what sort of ultimately ends up with Daredevil the the regular length of the theatrical release. You know having you know fifty-two percent um or mm-hmm. five point two on IMDB, fifty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic and so on, it's like it's really tough because it missed things like the 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 passion and the brutality and the power of this final fight scene, which is great. Now
1: I have to say not all the fights are great. I guess that's onto my second point, really, which is the wire work in the film. Um, it's just atrocious at times. Um, this movie came out about a year after the the Japanese film uh, Hero, which was um, which was an absolute towering success and hugely showed how you use wire work well in a film. It was beautifully shot. The the choreography was fantastic this film seems like you know they put people on wires threw them in the air and said go do a go do a move and um, particularly what stands out for me is the early uh, the early scene with young matt murdock um where he's fighting the bullies finally after he's gone blind and he's learned uh, he's he's learned how to do some fight moves um he beats up three kids and then there's a weird backflip where he looks like he's left half hanging in the air by the wires that they're using it's terrible and then to the the scene where I would say half that that audience that gave, gave this movie a poor review, I would say they left directly after the fight scene with um, Matt Murdock and Electro in the uh, in the, the children's playground. Do you remember the one? Um, I certainly do. Which which I would say that would that would probably if I didn't have any affection for the daredevil character like I do, I probably would have left the cinema for that. It is. Awfully put together, really badly. Staged. I almost went blind at that. I <laughs> <end. laughs> kind of wish I had. It really yeah. was just slightly unnecessary. but yeah. yeah, I think they could have done things a different way. Every one of the fights, I think it, uh, Mark Stephen Johnson says, every one of the fights is shot differently. Every one of the fights is uh, is set apart by the people that are involved. The fighting between Daredevil and Electra in that scene, or between actually, it's just between uh, Matt Murdock and Electra Nachos, not the two superhero versions of the characters I suppose um, that scene is poorly directed, poorly put together and poorly acted uh, really, it's, it's it, the fact that there's a ton of kids around watching them and nobody reports that there's two people fighting with Kung Fu in, uh, in the children's playground is a bit weird as well. But. It feels out of place yeah. I think
0: that's the big aspect of it and I mean I think that's the problem with it. It feels out of place, that fight in particular. I mean, I understand what you're saying about um, the young Matt Murdoch and that fight with the bullies in mm-hmm. the alley, yet yeah, you, can, you can spot the kind of... It's this kung fu kick, which, to be honest, it looks like a move that an older person should be doing. It's not a move that you would expect to see a young kid of I don't know what, Thirteen, fourteen, maybe at that time, doing, and that's what I think as well. That is a bit jarring about it. Not only the fact that at some point it, he looks suspended in midair,
1: but it's the fact that there is a young kid doing this move. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I just think he looks like he's he's at, he does look like he's suspended in midair because he didn't get enough training on how to use the wires. That's that's what it feels like. It feels like they decided last minute to use wires. It looks like something out of a out of a a local stage play um, rather than a forty million dollar film at the time. You know.
0: I mean, the only other thing, say just to to go with that, would be the some of the CG where Daredevil is sort of climbing up the side of buildings mm. and, and and some of the the jumps that he does yeah. where it's. I mean. You could really give Evil Knievel a run for his money in terms of the distance covered from just simply his thigh muscles, like yeah. <laughs> rather than an actual, you know, petrol powered uh, motorcycle engine. And mm-hmm. um, some of that CG work, not all of it now, actually, but some of it just looks a bit chunky and blocky, yeah. it, it, it looks a bit stilted. But I mean, we do have to remember. It is a 2003 movie. A lot of this stuff was really just becoming much more common in films. So, I mean, at the time, this is cutting edge. But I suppose now, for a 2015 uh, audience, you would kind of look at that and go, okay, that just looks a bit stilted, a bit uh, blocky. Um, but in a sense, that's okay. I can live with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's nothing. There's nothing that dates... Quicker than CGI, apparently, other than wire work. Um, but, uh, but that's uh, that's that's my second point. John, do you want to go into your third?
0: Yeah, I think my next point uh, links in with um, this whole idea of some of the fights uh, and uh, the wire work, as you've pulled out this is this is kind of my negative really in some ways it's a bit of a biggie i still really like this film and i remember at the time really liking it and the extended cut and you know this was the first generation in my own mind of the the comic book superhero movies and i i kind of took them for what they were and kind of just immersed myself in it wasn't really too um sort of hooked into maybe storytelling or plot lines or the intricacies of that as much. But I think looking back on it now, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the extended cut or even the editor or writer or whatever. I think, you know, this film did have a fairly uh, tumultuous kind of tortured kind of uh, process around it from what I can see. You know, Mm. firstly, there was a director's cut and it seemed to come out... Um, in a way as a a, a response to the theatrical release it wasn't a director's cut of well everyone loved the theatrical release and therefore then because you have to cut these things down into a manageable time amount from all the footage that's been shot as Mm -hmm. a director um, then you might get a director's cut release such as say with Alien or um, with Blade Runner, which obviously, you know, Ridley Scott is well known for releasing director's cuts. Yeah, There's a 25 um, Blade Runner Yeah, episodes. no, exactly. But th- it seemed to be a different process there. Some of the extras on the Blu ray had interviews with, you know, director and writer um, Mark Stephen Johnson, but it, they also had. Um, interviews with some of the other producers, mm-hmm. um, such as Ari Avid, who was the big producer, sort of, at the time for for Marvel, but there were a, a few others, and there was a sense that I got from these interviews taking place that there was a lot of justifying why they did the theatrical release, and still, sort of, maybe a bit of cutting off noses despite their facing, that was still really, kind of, stand-by and, and and justify those cuts that were made and i mean you think of films now actually 2 hours 20 minutes is not necessarily overly long by today's standards when you think of the hobbit the batman trilogy yeah. interstellar and um, the avengers uh, movie and um, any of those 2 hours 20 minutes is not long at all. So, you know, this was quite a short movie really when it was released in it's the ninety eight minutes, wasn't it, something like that. Yeah. Too. So, um and I think for me, as a result of all this, and this is my point, um sorry to kind of have this long introduction to it, but I think the structure of the story sometimes is affected. It's like that where they were removing stuff that affected how the story was told With the theatrical release, for this extended edition, it's like they've put other elements into it where, again, there's a lot of strands at play and it doesn't always add to the clarity. For me, the biggest one, the biggest storyline in the film that seems completely underexposed or underdeveloped is the one surrounding Ben Ulrich as the journalist and this reveal of... Um, Wilson Fisk as the kingpin Mm -hmm. um, through the legal case that Matt and Foggy Nelson have taken on. I just think that's really underdeveloped. It's there, and that's fine, but it's really underdeveloped, I think. And yet, at the same time, then, there are other aspects that are just slotted in, which I don't have a problem with them, but they add nothing. Um, In particular
1: the playground fight and
0: mm. um, and the other one well like it's, it,
1: it, i will say the playground fight is their meat cute that's the that's the t- the term essentially they 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 meet up they have to do something they have to show that they're different from everybody else in the universe they're perfect for each other and they decided to do a fight in the playground right I, that, that's a decision it was just badly done but that's um, my point in regards to the to the element you're really speaking about which is the ben orick thing you know ben orick is a, is a very well-known comic book character he worked with in the daily bugle with uh with spider-man yep. they couldn't call the daily bugle in this so it's the new york post but a very well-known kind of character that you know you'd see quite a lot um the use of him in this in this film is is pretty poor pretty poorly spec out i suppose um this is the fundamental point of the film daredevil finds the kingpin, the master of crime in New York City, and it seems to be just a throwaway line. that, that you it's, it's really poorly put together in, in that element. Even in the director's cut, which has about 10 minutes extra of the storyline than the original cut had, I don't know how, the, how you'd even work out in the original cut how the leap from Wilson Fisk being just some business guy that he met to being the kingpin, I don't know how you'd even work that out from the original cut. But that's what I mean. I th- I think the pacing of it is really kind of...
0: Odd, because, you know, you have this backstory of the young Matt Murdock, which is like 20, 25 minutes long. You have the love story where they meet up and the killing of Electra's father by the Kingpin, and and that element to it. And then all of a sudden, um, Wesley Owen Welch, Kingpin's PA, or Wilson Fist's PA, is caught in a bar as a result of this murder case that has kind of been going on sporadically, says a quick line, which then all of a sudden has all the cops bearing down on Wilson Fisk and Daredevil off to fight. And it's not clear that that's why Daredevil is going to confront Wilson Fisk. Yeah. Um, and I, as I say, then other things are in there which you just think that three minutes of playground fighting on seesaws and merry-go-rounds could have being used
1: to maybe flesh that out more. I don't know, I think they thought that they were trying to do a version of Hero for American audiences No, or I I and...
0: understand that. Or the or... other two is the
1: non-reference, which I didn't get at all. I, I had to watch the interview with Mark Stephen Johnson to understand what that is, and I presume there are bigger Daredevil fans listening to this podcast than us, Um, but I presume most people didn't get that that's a reference to the fact that it's his, it's his mother. I didn't even own. know it was a nun. I just saw the silhouette of
0: the cross and kind of thought it was actually the priest from she's the She's wearing start. a wimple. It's... <laughs> I didn't see the wimple. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other one that I have to say for just pure amusement, I actually quite liked it, which is where all the bags in the room fall down from the ceiling mm. on, on ropes whilst um, Electronatros is... is um, practising her fighting, and she's slitting all these bags. And I suppose the the, the tidy freak in me just thought, who's going to hoover up all this stuff? I mean, I know she's a millionaire and there's someone to do it for her. And then to have the one bag with the devil's face, I daredevil's face on it, a and then really, suddenly a
1: really, pa- a really badly painted daredevil. It was face like Wilson action. from, uh <laughs> it
0: yeah, it was really, it was Wilson, but it wasn't it was. a coconut; it was a bag of sand. And the problem was, was then I thought, oh, so she's just killed a load of innocents getting to this one bag with the daredevil on. Then I actually thought it was kind of quite classy, but again, it was something that in the end I actually found hilarious and didn't really see the point in it. I think they could have done it a different way, showing her anger at Daredevil. Mm-hmm. For example, on top of the um of the roof. Um when her and Daredevil actually fight, you know, let it come out there. Yeah. Um rather than this this crazy little bit of choreography where she's slicing through bags of sand. Um which ultimately ends up actually, in hindsight, looking really hilarious. (laughs) And so that's my kind of um, one negative is elements that really just weren't necessary um, and the structure. But I do think it's got a lot to do with just the genesis of this whole film, really, which is unfortunate.
1: And again, I thought it was really interesting looking at some of the interviews with Mark Stephen Johnson, where he mentions something a bit weird. So he's made the director's cut of the film. He's added 30 minutes into the film. And then, for some reason, subtracted out scenes that he loved from the original original version, which was the uh, which was Matt Murdock getting together with Electra, uh which they don't do in this film. No, there's no there's no, no love scene with the two of them. They don't need it necessarily, but um, but he took it out. And then the other scenes, which is the confessionals with the priest. So that's uh, that's where Matt Murdock goes and confesses his sins essentially to the priest again, having the the strike on the Catholicism of the Daredevil character. And he took them out, and the reason he gave for taking them out was because you've already seen them. Well, surely we've seen all the rest (laughs) of the film. And then he added another half hour in. It's... I don't know, I didn't... It's slightly
0: confusing, exactly, and I I just think it's a bit odd. It was like he was told, yes, you can have a director's cut, but it actually must still have a certain time limit on it, and therefore, unfortunately, even though he would want them in, he had to cut them out. It's very odd, and again, I just feel... It's the, the the genesis of this film yeah. to its theatrical release, whether there was a misunderstanding or a fallout along the way. But you do get a sense of that from these interviews yeah. in
1: the extras. Yeah, one of the back office producers simply says that what he was trying to do is shorten down every piece of dialogue to get the movie as fast and punchy as possible, which... This is quite a. This is supposed to be quite an intelligently written film. Uh, it's written and directed by the same person, so that he obviously has a vision for this film, which wasn't to cut down everything except for the fight scenes. So he wanted to tell a story, uh, and as to your point, it, that it's quite clear that they wanted to cut every element of story because it would be confusing without all the stuff that they didn't put back in.
0: I mean, when you listen to it, I know it's the film industry as much as an artistic process, but. When he's speaking about it, this this chap, this producer, um, I can't remember his name now, and um, it makes it sound like he's writing someone's CV, and he's trying to keep, you know, everything that's gone on in a person's life onto, you know, a single page or maximum two pages, and that's the justification for it, even though there is also actually unlike a cv an artistic element maybe Mm -hmm. or at least more so um to this process because it is a piece of art so it's a bit odd but that that's that's my one negative it's quite big i still like this film even with those um points that i've made on on this one negative for me
1: so my third point is about the flashback essentially this entire film is done in flashback the opening scene is what happens at the end of the film? They show a couple of minutes and then it goes right back to the creation of Daredevil and, and you know what happens. Um, quite an interesting way of doing it. A lot of films start off with the creation of the character and show them growing and advancing and learning their techniques. And that would be the entire film. And then you may have a villain fight at the end of the movie. Whereas this kind of takes place really when Daredevil is accustomed to, to being the protector of Hell's Kitchen, uh, where Matt Murdock is a successful Okay, maybe not monetarily, but he is a successful lawyer in defending the the underprivileged. Um, this is, so this film is quite is it's kind of taking it from a different stance. You know, I like I kind of like that idea. I like that they've that they did it this way, uh, kind of negating the need to do an origin story as such, just showing a little flashback uh, this time. Which I thought was quite a good idea.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's one. Um, you know, we've just been talking about sort of the story and a lot of different competing pieces, but this is one of the aspects of the story which i thought was quite novel actually um how it was done um and and enjoyed that you know you see the whole bleeding matt murdoch or daredevil i should say um holding on to the the cross uh on the church and you know so symbolic of the whole thing um of daredevil and and his origins and the catholicism that sort Mm of Is
1: there ever present um, for the character? And again, a great uh, cover piece of artwork with Daredevil holding the cross on top of a church. That's a, a very well known piece of art that, that was done for no, Daredevil. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, to then sort of you know, two hours into the movie, you are revisiting that exact scene, and then it, for the last twenty thirty minutes, you're then um, back in the present in yeah. a uh, sense. So and it doesn't feel like a flashback it but it's it's it is and it's great for that because yeah. it doesn't feel like one it's not say like you have at the moment with green arrow Sorry, it's not like you have at the moment with the arrow on tv where those flashbacks are very much distinguished from the the present day this seems just quite a natural progression through from that opening image. Mm. Um, and it does, as I say, it doesn't feel like a flashback. So yeah. you don't get caught up in the whole story as being a flashback like that. Yet, as you say, it is one. So
1: yeah, It's a
0: neat little trick in a sense.
1: Yeah, I think that's the reason why I've chosen it as one of my points. It's, quite, it's, it's very unusual to see it like this. I did kind of forget at a point that there was a flashback and that we were going to return to Daredevil on top of the church uh, towards the end of the film. Uh, I did forget that because of how long there is between the beginning, the opening, and the end, which are two connected scenes. But yeah, I did really enjoy it as a way of framing the film. though. I think the
0: other reason why it doesn't necessarily feel like a flashback is because you feel the flashback is the young Matt Murdock sort of uh, duration, the, mm-hmm. the 20-odd, 25 minutes of the, the film that deals with the backstory of Matt Murdock and how um, you know, his father's death sort of drives him on to be someone who looks for justice um, by day uh, as a lawyer and justice by night as a vigilante in the shape of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, that bit, to me, I was going, oh, that's the flashback. And as soon as it came back to the older Matt Murdock, I thought we were back in the present. And in yeah. a sense, I'd almost forgotten that just sort of opening... Um, moment of him bleeding on the cross, so that whole thing is, um, is a, again a neat trick, as I said
1: before. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, John, Do you have another point for us?
0: Yeah, I think um, as we said mm-hmm. in one of our previous podcasts, the the character, the main character, is blind. Mm-hmm. So how you deal with that heightened sense of hearing, of smell, of touch, of everything, and this whole radar sense that helps Daredevil and Matt Murdock visualize his environments is actually really important for anything that deals with Daredevil because if it doesn't look good, if it doesn't feel right for the audience, you can almost sink the entire project. And for me, I think um, the film did this really, really well um and i still think the cg of it actually holds up even now okay some yeah. of it you can say maybe is starting to date slightly but i think it holds up generally and that's this whole radar sense and um, some really good examples of it um is where he's um, in a snooker hall, in a billiards hall, um, where the fan is rotating and it's pulsing the air, and he's been able to to see the outlines of of the people in in the billiards hall when he's trying to chase down a, a crook who's gotten off um scot free from a yeah. uh, court case. A billiard
1: hall or a pool hall? Pool hall, <laughs> billiards, <laughs> Probably, yeah.
0: snooker. Yeah, one of those. Um, you know, you have the subway where. Mm. The the, the the sound of the screeching of the subway sort of helps resonate um the sound to allow him to pick up again the 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 environment in which he's pursuing again the the same crook actually in this mm-hmm. case. Um there's the Rain, which is a brilliant one where he helps helps him visualize lecturer to see her beauty, um and again how these senses are taken away from him like in that scene she holds up an umbrella and it removes the rain from hitting her face so her face it disappears yeah. um from from his sort of radar sense yeah so i like the way this visualization of his environment is played around with it helps him to see his environment but how it can
1: also be taken away uh, from him as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's another scene that I think is fantastic in the flashback where the young Matt Murdoch is able to see while being blind, you might say. He's sitting in his in his bed and he can sense everything around him from streets away, from people uh, using their using drills to dig up the roads to to taxi cabs going by, he can sense all that. He can sense the the drip in the uh in uh, that's connected to his arm, he can sense that going. Uh, he can sense everything around him and then suddenly the church bell rings out. Nullifying all of the other noise and creating silence for Matt because the ringing in his ears has cleared all the other noise in the city. It's another element that speaks to the connection of religion to Matt Murdoch, the sanctuary that he gets from the ringing of a bell, which knocks out all the other noise around him. It comes back to to plague him in the future of uh, of with with the fight with Bullseye later on, but in this moment, it's one moment of clarity that he needs to realize where he is uh, to discover. Uh, all around him and to to kind of clear out the noise that he's getting from every single uh every single area around him yeah yeah, yeah and really the right.
0: fact that he has to sleep in a, a hyperbaric chamber mm-hmm. um, filled with water in order to block out all these heightened senses so that he can actually sleep and rest there's another good little touch i think yeah. um
1: on that whole aspect of his heightened senses speaking of which there's a great scene just there actually which you just reminded me of where uh where he's getting into the hyperbaric the chamber, uh, and the murder is happening of the, in this, the secondary storyline, essentially, the murder is happening of um, the prostitute. Uh, yeah, uh, Liza Towsier. Yeah, and he's hearing the noise of her, but they've put her crawling along the floor right beside the hyperbaric chamber to show you that he can't get away from this, he can't escape from it. And it does feel like something out of a horror film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a it's a really good scene, but thanks for reminding me of that one.
0: I think just one... Quick aspect as well is just in the opening credits, I really like the touch of the braille from the the lights are of, of the skyscrapers. I just thought that was a really good touch and how they then morphed into sort of the names of the cast and the producers and the writer and director, and so on. yeah I thought that was a really nice touch as well,
1: again, coming back to the the whole sort of aspect of his blindness as well. yeah, they definitely took the blindness seriously. They worked with um with a, a, a person who'd gone blind by the time they were eighteen, I believe. Um, who taught them some of the tricks that Ben Affleck uses to uh, to get through his day? Essentially, he um, I think that there's there's a specific. Uh set of steps he goes through before leaving the apartment, like um, separating all of his money out and bending it in different ways so he knows what notes are which, so nobody can rip them off in the city, which I think is interesting yeah. and that was taken from the, the consultant on the film. Uh, they, were, they were definitely quite clear that they wanted to to represent the life of a blind person in, in a city like New York and they did it quite well I think.
0: Definitely, definitely
1: Yeah, yeah and that was kind of my, one of my other points was the vision of Daredevil is definitely a stand for me um, overall So my final point really is Ben Affleck Uh, It's kind of a discussion point, really. Um, I kind of want to know overall what you thought of him. Uh, There's been a lot of criticism over the years about Ben Affleck's performance um, particularly connected to this film. And I think it's unfair, Um, firstly, I'll I'll, I'll say. um, The year that this film came out, Ben Affleck did another awful, awful film called Geekly. I believe. Uh or Jiggly. Jiggly. I don't know how to pronounce it at all. But it was that's... the whole Benefer phase,
0: wasn't it? Um uh Ben Affleck and
1: uh Jennifer Lopez. That's right, that's right. And they made a film together um where which was panned by the critics. But essentially because both of these films came out within about two or three months of each other, um he was nominated for a Razzie Award for both films as Worst Actor and won the Raz- Razzie Award for Worst Actor and for Worst Actor of the Decade, essentially for Geekly and for Daredevil. And I think that's tainted his performance in Daredevil for for all time, really. I think everybody looks at it and says, oh, that's that's the terrible Ben Affleck film, really. Um, I don't think he's that bad in this film. No, I think
0: it's overly harsh that he got that. I think, to be honest, a lot of the criticism probably came from off the film set uh-huh. um, to do with whatever was going on in tabloids, magazines and so on about him and his relationship uh, to Jennifer Lopez at the time. To be honest, I am totally in agreement with you here. I like Ben Affleck's portrayal. I think he looks um, the part. I think with the hood uh, and the mask on of Daredevil, I think it works incredibly well. I think he's got the the right build for it and i think you know coming from northeast coast of the us obviously boston not new york but he he understands that urban you know big city um, the different areas and communities in that big city you know he was brought up in that i believe around boston if mm-hmm. i'm right i'm not saying i am exactly but that's what i kind of understand that um, he was so. I think he plays it really well. I have very little problem with um his portrayal of Daredevil and Matt Murdock yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and you know some of the things that we've said maybe that are criticisms happen to be maybe to do more with you know the fact that well that playground fight should never have been in the script. Yeah. So it's not to do with Ben Affleck; it's to do with. And um, larger elements that that build into that whole of of the Daredevil film, but I think his performance is great. Yeah. I think it's fine.
1: I think it's fine. Yeah, I think, I think it's fine. I don't think anybody else could have done anything better in the role, definitely. Um, for me, and I think as I, as I say, I wanted to just bring it out and discuss it because it does feel like something that's connected to the Razzie Award being given that year to Ben Affleck for the movie Giggly and Daredevil, because that's the way the Razzies work. They generally nominate you for everything you've released that year. Uh, so it seems like those two films have been combined, but our fellow podcaster Chris, who you'll be hearing much more of as we get closer to the series. There, that we wanted to get in at this point, um, he essentially got uh, picked up some quotes from um, from Ben Affleck around the time. So essentially, Ben Affleck said he is a huge fan of the character. Acting out was such an unpleasant experience, though, that in 2006 he said he never rep- reprised the role. Um, he feels that he's been inoculated from ever wearing, ever playing another superhero wearing costume was a source of humiliation for him and something he wouldn't want to do again anytime soon. Um, it's believed that the Daredevil costume was hugely uncomfortable t- uh, to wear, essentially. So it's something that I pointed out. So there's a, there's a moment in the film where um, where Electra takes off Daredevil's hood, and you can see the redness of Ben Affleck's ears. It looks like the things were so tight down on his head that he couldn't hear a thing, uh, while while it, being in that costume, essentially. How's um, he going to cope with the
0: Batman costume? I know,
1: I know, yeah. So It's uh,
0: amazing. I mean, he absolutely must have meant those words at the time. Yeah. And it's more to do, probably, with all the nonsense of Razzie's and um, his relationship with Jennifer Lopez being under the microscope of, of the tabloid press, yeah. more than the film itself. But obviously that's what you experience on that set. Yeah. And and for him that was just a bad time in his life of which Daredevil um happened to coincide with that. And, you know, he's obviously gotten over that and he's moved on and he's gonna become um Batman.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there is one other point though, uh, as well, though that essentially the, the contact lenses that he used throughout the throughout the film, the kind of, the kind of um the grey ones that go over his eyes, they were essentially made him practically blind for the entire filming so not only could he not hear while he was wearing the uh, the mask for daredevil he also couldn't see because of the contact lenses that were in so uh, it must have been quite a difficult experience overall i think he did a really good job in the role um, and I, it's a pity we never we never saw him take on the part again yeah
0: no absolutely Um, but he is going to take on a bigger part in the form of Another vigilante, which is Batman That's in right. Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. That's right, Don't which we have Batman. talked about obviously on Gotham TV podcasts. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it'd be be interesting to see him play in that and see what his thoughts are about donning a superhero costume uh, again. Yeah. Um. I suspect it will be a different experience. What with Gone Girl, um, recently that he's been. And um, the lead man in um, mm-hmm. the David Fincher film, obviously then with the films that he's directed as well, Argo, yeah. Argo winning the Oscar. Yeah. You know, you know he's on an upward trajectory um, again. So yeah. I mean, it's great for him, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does because I do like him in
1: the role of Daredevil in this film. Mm-hmm. So that's our top five points about Daredevil 2003. Uh, anything else that we might have missed out during those discussions?
0: I think the only thing I want to kind of make reference to is John Favreau as Foggy Nelson. I think he comes in with some real good comic relief uh, for the movie. Because mm. um, the movie itself is quite serious uh, it, to a point. Um, and I think he just adds a nice comic relief uh, as Foggy Nelson, really. Um, certainly in the black and white uh, ball that is held by Wilson Fisk, you know, there's a, a bit of a. Um, open all hours, kind of uh, carry on, uh, <laughs> ooh, matron type thing yeah. with uh, a fairly um well endowed well endowed statue. statue on the stairs, which is good. You yeah. know, uh, it, it's <laughs> funny. It, it's a it's it's a good laugh. Yeah. I think he he plays the sidekick um in the scenes that he has really really well, and it just adds that little lightness to the whole piece, and also. It's interesting, we have John Favreau, who then went on to direct Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Um, so we have a few uh, alumni from this film that go on to uh, sort of bigger things, mm-hmm. John Favreau being one of them, but also then there's Kevin Feige as a co-producer on this film as well, who was learning his production and producing uh, skills and experience on this film and obviously we know what he's gone on so that's kind of intriguing when you look at the the list of people involved as well yeah and That there's a lot of marvel alumni there that obviously are now doing great stuff um with this current set of marvel films now that they have their own production studio
1: yeah yeah absolutely i will say for me that one of the standouts for foggy nelson is the scene where he swaps the mustard for the for the honey for a for Matt Murdoch's coffee. I think it's a great scene and then Matt Murdoch twists it back around and he's the one that drinks the coffee yeah. with, the, with the mustard and it's a good little bit of inter- interplay between the two and definitely there's some great interplay between Ben Affleck and, uh, and Foggy Nelson uh, um, later on in the film.
0: Okay, with all that, I mean, I've kind of exhausted all my points. Is there any final points that you've got uh, on the film?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's one one thing that really stood out to me uh, over the course of the film. It's Graham Ravel's score. Uh, you heard it the last two episodes we've used it as our opening our opening theme for the episodes, and we've used it again for this episode. I love the theme for Daredevil. I love the music for it. The actual score is really, really good. A lot of the songs that have been chosen for the for the film are quite dated now. Um, at the time, they would have been really cutting edge. They were new metal songs essentially. But uh, I can't really imagine that Matt Murdock would want to be spending, you know, half an hour at home with his with his stereo up to eleven, listening to Evanescence. You know, it doesn't really suit the character that well, but they seem to have made their career off the back of the daredevil soundtrack both of their huge songs came from the soundtrack and they went on to have quite a successful career
0: at and... the time i loved um this sound of evanescence it was brilliant um it was real sort of operatic and huge sound but with the um you know the metal and, and the real sort of
1: Grungy kind of feel yeah. to it. It was great at the time. Yeah, yeah, a woman with a beautiful voice gets shouted over by a guy who wants to <laughs> <laughs> wants to get his point across, but didn't have a voice enough to do it. Um, yeah, no, I do. I, I must say, no, they're, they're definitely got some good songs on there. But uh, but what stood out for me is Graham Bell's uh, soundtrack. It's uh, he came came off doing The Crow a couple of years beforehand, and he's got that kind of style, you know, similar to uh, to Tim per- Tim Burton's partner, um, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, very similar style where he goes in. Has a particular vision for a film and does uh, does kind of dark superhero films. That's kind of his style. So he's doing um, Gotham at the moment. Yeah. So I thought it was a really good score that he yeah. does for this movie. Um, I think that's it for the for the film. So John, do you defend Daredevil?
0: I do defend Daredevil. Yes, I would say Daredevil is not guilty um, for being a dreadful film. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it quite. A lot. I had very fond memories um, when I was younger and I watched it in in, um, the cinema. And then I actually realised the problems with that when I saw the extended cut. And for me, the extended cut is the one that people should really watch. I think as a a background to just filmmaking, the editing process, the production process, it's really interesting seeing those extras on the Blu-ray now. I'm not too sure you would get that anymore. Mm. Uh, it's interesting to see it because you do feel a tension there, the, between the, the different people on the interviews. So that's really good um, in that sense. But I still like it. I think it has some great um, action sequences. I think it's quite um, a poignant and dark storyline through. I think its structure is a bit confusing sometimes, but I think, again, that comes from this whole um, element to do with the theatrical release and then the extended, but I like the performances. Primarily, I like Ben Affleck as Daredevil, but above all, I think Colin Farrell is really, really good as Bullseye, and I think Michael Clark Duncan is brilliant and a standout in his performance as the kingpin, and for me, they are um, parts of the reason why I really like this film, and I will keep going back to it. Are the performances of um, the actors in in this uh, film, and for me, Michael Clark Duncan is the standout
1: um, of the film. Right, right. Uh, I wouldn't defend it as highly as you. Uh, I must admit, um, having watched it, having watched it again, I probably watched it twenty or thirty times over over the last. 12 years, uh, at some point I've watched it once or twice a year really um, but now watching it again and watching it with a bit more of a critical eye and you know, taking notes on it and really getting into the detail of the story, it's amazing how much is seems to have been left out and how much seems to be missing from it that could have made it a far better film um, I 100% would recommend if you have a choice, go get the Blu-ray watch the director's cut, not the original cut I think the original cut is very confusing uh, and Certainly doesn't uh, doesn't leave uh, doesn't connect the dots the way the uh, the director's cut does at times. Um, I'm not as highly defending it as as you are, John, um, but I would say recommend it. Pop out, It's a couple hours of your life. You're not gonna they're not gonna be wasted. It is uh, it is definitely enjoyable to watch. But just to be clear, I'm not defending it up there with the likes of say the current
0: Marvel crop. Mm-hmm. I think it's a film of its time. I think. The fondness that I had for this movie carried me through watching it again to some degree as well. So I do like it. I certainly don't think it's perfect. And I think there are issues of which structure of the story um, is one of maybe its big problems. But as a film, just to simply watch and to get to know the Daredevil story it's 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 fine and it's good and and I like it and so I don't think all the criticism level that it is justified mm-hmm. and in that sense, I would say it's not guilty
1: <laughs>
0: of being a bad film, so that would be maybe three bags of sand out of five on a string.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um so our other podcaster as, as we mentioned earlier on Chris wanted to get in on this one uh, he just wanted to throw in some of the uh, some of the easter eggs that are in the film if you uh, if you didn't notice them. Um so one of the big pieces of easter eggs and I noticed a few uh Chris pulled out all of them but um one of the big easter eggs that are that's Used in the film many times as writers referenced, uh, writers of Daredevil referenced throughout the film. Uh, So some of those essentially Stan Lee makes his usual cameo, uh, where he stopped walking across the street by young Matt Murdock. Um, Kirby, the lab assistant, there's two here. So that's Jack Kirby, who was one of the original writers for Daredevil, one of the original creators of uh, of Daredevil. Um, He's played by Kevin Smith, who was a future writer of uh, of Daredevil. He wrote uh, a, a book around this time. There's Father Evers, who Daredevil goes to. He's he's named after Bill Evers, who was the original artist of um, of Daredevil.
0: Yeah, and then there is um, Fallon, who asks about the other boxers when he's speaking to Matt Murdock's father. And they are Miller, Bendis, uh, Mack, and they are the other fighters. And they, of course, are relating to uh, Frank Miller, Brian Michael Bendis, and David Mack.
1: Yeah, yeah, all the... Uh, all... Very well-known writers of Daredevil. So, uh, one of their big one, which was John Romita, who's the boxer that Jack Murdock knocks out. He's John Romita Senior, who's uh, who's one of the uh, one of the biggest artists of Daredevil, and one of the most well-known artists uh, for for Marvel Comics. Uh, the last one. Is this is the 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 guy who gets the short shrift really? Yeah. Poor uh, poor uh, Joe Casada, who's the who was the editor in chief of Marvel at the time. Uh, the rapist that John was talking about earlier on, who got chased down by Daredevil to the train station. Uh, that's Jose Casada. But Joe obviously didn't hold it against him. He's fundamental in getting the rights of Daredevil back and bringing the bringing the uh, the the show to to Netflix. So uh, so he still loves Daredevil despite them naming a rapist after him <laughs> yeah
0: so there's some really good easter eggs there and we want to say thank you obviously to chris who and um, just to remind uh, our listeners he will be joining our, ourselves along with irene they were both on a round table that we did for gotham tv podcast which is our other podcast about the tv show gotham which is on fox in the u.s Um, but also then on Channel 5 in the UK. Um, And we did a roundtable a a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to check out uh, that, then head over to gothamtvpodcast.com and check out the the European Roundtable special, episode 35. That's on the website. Or again, you can search on iTunes as well. You can also head to gotham dot com forward slash itunes um, and and check out um that round table uh, and they will uh, be joining us for the coverage of the Marvel Netflix Daredevil series yeah, and it
1: should give you a little preview of how we 're going to be how we're going to be covering that series so I'll mention again you can find the show on DefendersTv Podcast.com slash iTunes. You can uh, subscribe to us there, leave us a review, help other people find us as the show starts to is going to air next month. It'd be great to get some reviews ahead of uh, ahead of the show airing.
0: Yeah, you can also listen to us on Stitcher, Player FM, or any other good podcast catcher, just search and um, Defenders TV Podcast. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Or you can join um, our group on Facebook, which again is Defenders TV Podcast. So, you're more than welcome to join and become part of this whole Marvel Netflix community around Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and the Iron Fist, all leading towards the Defenders miniseries. So, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon with the reviews of the thirteen episodes of Daredevil, and um, to be released tenth of April. On Netflix. Yep,
1: yep. Thanks very much for listening. Talk to you again soon.
0: Bye. A young boy. <laughs> boy? That's the Irish, top of the morning to you. Jesus too. Christ. Um, right, here we go.
1: Top of the to you.
0: A young boy, Matt Murdoch, uh, played by Scott Terror, uh, blinded by a chemical accident and his. A young boy, blinded by his cat. So <laughs> his chemical kit. Ah! Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, okay. I see it again now, say, with the Daredevil show on Netflix, with Vincent D'Ophrono, like... With Vincent D'Ophrono. D'Ophrio. D'Ophrio. Yeah, yeah. And I see it again now with Vincent D'Ophrono that... <laughs> I can't <laughs> say this word. What is it? Vin... Vincent D'Ophrio. D'Ophrio. And I think I see it again now with Vincent D'Onofrio. I can't say it. Oh my god, mental block. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think I see it again. And I think I see it again with the casting of Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, is, what? It's what? D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: D'Onofrio. Mhm. Dinofrio. Ah. Uh he then goes to the airport in a really kinda silly scene, but uh in our version of the movie he goes to the airport and gets through uh security somehow uh, without getting shot in the head for uh for fla- flagrantly uh uh, uh flouting. Yeah <laughs> uh, for Flouting the laws of the airport. Fragrantly uh, flouting. Fragrantly.
0: <laughs> flagrantly flouting. Fragrantly. <laughs> Never getting through this, have we? Yeah. Get on with it. Chop, chop. Chop, mm-hmm. This almost just seems like a... a follow-through, um... Or... <laughs> <laughs> oh, um this seems just quite a natural progression through from that opening image
1: mm. um and it... I can't really imagine that Matt Murdoch would want to be sitting at home turning his stereo up to 11 and playing evanescence uh, tracks at uh, that kind of volume as a deaf guy. <laughs> 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 not a deaf guy. Is he? I can't really imagine that Matt Murdock would want to be spending, you know, at half an hour at home with his.
0: It's not guilty of being a bad film. So that would be maybe three double Ds out of five. <laughs> I don't think we can use that.
1: I don't think we can use that scoring system. Somehow. I think
0: it'd be three
1: horns. Out of five. <laughs> can use that scoring system either. Uh, I just want to do... Um, three sin. spiky tails out of five? <laughs> no tails. Um, I think we just want to do... Um, it would be...
0: So for me, it's three bags of sand out of five on a string.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so our other podcaster, as, as we mentioned earlier on, Chris, wanted to get in on this one, uh,